Hi, Hannah. Hey, Evan. We have this new setup with our mics where we're both behind these like little sound canceling screens. Is that what you would call them? Sound dampening screens? It's um it's like boy meets world, right? Where you have the neighbor, you just see his eyes. Oh wait, was that tool time? Oh you no, that's tool time. <laughs> I was trying I was like, it's like boy meets world. We're doing tool time. Where you can just see each other's eyes over the soundproofing wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? We're talking about focus. Yeah. Just like how I'm focusing on your beautiful hazel brown eyes right now and <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about focus today because we've recently been switching the type of work that we have to do from I don't know, a very like like little task-based days. Yeah. To this work where we're trying to write a novel. Right. I think this is one of the differences between writing a long-form piece of fiction and writing a rule book. Like a rule book is broken down into little sections that are broken down into smaller sections, broken down into tiny examples. It fits a workflow of brief bouts of focus. We're just going to finish this one little thing. As opposed to a 20-page chapter, which has a long, ongoing flow. Yeah, and is connected to like a much bigger flow. Right. Which is the whole story. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not to say that writing a rule book isn't connected to a much bigger flow, but I mean, some of the parts really can be broken down to like pretty small and disconnected components. Right. You could rewrite your entire character creation system potentially, or like your combat. I don't, we've never had a game with combat, but that's what comes to <laughs> mind. Like you can rewrite your entire combat system and have it not change the themes of your game. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that, that might not be the case with a novel. In a rule book, you have a justification for each sentence. It's describing this rule or this way that you're supposed to play. But in a novel, the sentences are a little more subtle than that. You can't just give a, a strict, firm reason for every sentence existing. And you could try, but I think you'd be missing the point. Yeah. So this issue that we've come up against recently, where we discovered that our typical ways of working and our ways of like breaking focus out into these little like nuggets of focus instead yeah. of a rotisserie focus. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think, I don't want to sound like it's just relevant or connected to the work of writing a novel because I don't, I don't think it is. No. And also uh, we're not just going to be talking about what we're changing we, it's just brought focus back into our focus. Into our focus, yeah. And we thought we'd talk about both what was working for us before and and why it's changing and what we found has helped us in this new kind of work. Yeah. I, we're also going to talk a little bit about not like a philosophy of focus, but just focus is something that we've both been thinking a lot about and the way that like what focus means to us has changed. 
I think it's a philosophy of focus. Philosophy of focus. And it's going to be the war and peace of focus <laughs> discussions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So where should we start? Let's start by talking about focus itself and the way that we think about it and the way that we've seen others describe it and what works for us and what doesn't. I'm trying not to say defining our terms. Yeah, well. <laughs> but I kind of want to. Yeah, that's okay. So here's where I'm at with focus. I see focus as, I like the metaphor of, of the flashlight of the mind. It's like what you're lighting up compared to everything else that is darker because you're paying attention to this one thing. That one thing could be a big, broad thing. You could be thinking about geopolitical dynamics, or it could be a single hair on a single head of a single friend. <laughs> <laughs> you weirdo. <laughs> uh, I guess for me, before we launch into a discussion of us trying to get focused and having strategies, I want to diffuse the term from all these like good and bad signifiers. Like I think being completely unfocused and having your mind wander is a valuable state sometimes. That's that's daydreaming. That's something we intentionally foster when we're trying to think of a new game, for instance. You want to like relax your focus and just let things flit in and out. That's great. That's a good state. So it's more about being where you want to be with your focus rather than there being a a best way to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. And like this is not an episode about like how to get focused. We're we're going into this like knowing that every brain is different. Yeah. And everybody's like experience and capacity is different. I mean, focus is something that I struggled with my whole life uh, to like an extreme extent and almost failed out of high school, almost didn't make it through a college with no grades. And yeah. I mean, at some point a few years ago, just just to like get personal for a second, because I don't want anybody to think that we're like here to be prescriptive. Um you know, a few years ago, I had said to my partner, like, I barely made it through college and I couldn't write any paper. I couldn't write the first sentence and I could never write the last sentence. But you know what I didn't take? I didn't take Adderall because it's painful for everybody. I was on the floor every night crying. It is so physically painful in your heart <laughs> to get even a single thing done. And my partner was like, is it? is it possible that that's like not the way it's supposed to be and you might actually have ADHD? <laughs> uh, and recently, you know, like have been diagnosed as an adult, which I think is also an experience that a lot of people are having, especially like, you know, girls who grew up in the 90s. Right. Where symptoms and the ways those presented as as daydreaming or sadness just weren't weren't clocked for what they are. So I just wanted to get that out of the way before sounding like we're sitting down here, like we're the, you know, Hannah and Evan are going to tell you about focus and, and what we do and what's worked for us, because this is a constant struggle. I'll just say for me, it's it's almost the opposite story where I was diagnosed with ADHD real young, or just ADD at that point. 
I guess that now there's no distinction. Uh, yeah, they just added the H and yeah, because they're <laughs> like, you're not hyperactive. You look bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was given Adderall for years and years and years, like a significant dose from middle school all through college, and it was not a great solution for me. Uh, I flunked out of college, just completely spinning out on those drugs and like riding roller coasters of super focused, drug-addled sleeplessness and dire crashes uh, of both energy and self-esteem. So uh, we've both tried stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we've been around the focus wheel a few times. <laughs> I don't know. I'm glad we, I felt like that was kind of what was missing from all of our notes here was just like the the personal context and just every every brain is different. Our brains are very different. Imagine our voices echoing up from deep within the dumpster of attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's something that, and then we'll then we'll get back to our main topic. It's prior to like a formal diagnosis for myself. You know, when I edit our episodes and I hear myself just like the way that I structure sentences where my mouth is constantly three steps ahead of my brain. No, it's the other the other way around. I guess both of them work. It can be really frustrating for me and and depressing and I can get really down on myself because I'm like, what am I talking about? Thoughts are just moving so fast. So anyway, constant struggle. We're switching. We're going to talk about that now. <laughs> <laughs> so coming from a place of us both having a history. Storied history. Of struggling with attention. Uh, we started our work together. And when I look at our work together, I see for myself the like a record of achievement that I wanted beforehand. I wanted to start projects and see them through and finish them. And I had enormous difficulty doing that before we started working together. It's still difficult but we're doing it. And so I want to talk about why we, how we managed. Yeah. I mean, I think that we're lucky in some ways because one thing is that I think our just like styles of focus and unfocus are really compatible. It seems like both of us have styles of focusing that maybe swerve <laughs> and we're able to swerve with each other. Yeah, wait, can I give a metaphor? I thought yeah, of one, yeah. and I think it's good, but it's going to take a minute to get there. Okay, bring it. So I think that my style of focus is that I am in a bowling alley, and I just want to bowl every lane simultaneously. <laughs> like, I have, like, bowling balls in every arm. <laughs> And I just like, like, I'm knocking pins down right and left, but then I forget about the alley at the end. Uh, like I have, you know, two, two bowling balls in each arm and I'm throwing them down and, and hurting myself. And you're really good at like gently nudging a bowling ball, like just to one place. You're like, let's, let's just, let's put these balls in the back in the machine. Isn't there, I don't know. Does that machine have a name? The one that, where you, when the ball comes out again, you the get it? Bowlermatic. Ball. <laughs> you're like, let's just put the balls back in the bowlermatic and just grab one at a time. 
But one thing I think about your focus is that some days you don't even want to enter the bowling alley. Well, I'm like out in the quarry, (laughs) like chiseling the perfect bowling ball. And I'm like, you need to give me a year to perfect my bowling ball technique before we can bowl a single lane. And so like I'm here with bowling balls in every arm, like bowling ball Cora. Um, (laughs) Just being like, Evan, just get in the out, just get into the bowling center. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about this analogy? I like it. This is working for me for sure. Uh, Yeah, so our meeting in the middle just looks like a normal game of bowling. Who would have even known? (laughs) The weirdest game of bowling. I'm glad you like it, though. I'm glad it makes sense to you. And I mean, I think that is just hitting at the heart of why it's worked for us, is that we are working well together, that we each push each other in a positive direction, that our compromise position is one that works. And I think we both, I think we both hold each other to account. Uh, We both care about the days going well and the work getting done. And we tend to kind of switch off the role of being cheerleader for the day. Yeah. I think we've even mentioned this before in describing our daily process. Yeah. Sometimes in a really intentional way, too. One of us sort of clocks the others being like a little bit down. We're like, all right, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the hype man today. I got I got us. I'm gonna lift us up. So that's a fortunate baseline. <laughs> compatible styles of working and thinking. Yeah. But on top of that, we've used some actual structures. Mm-hmm. Like planning out the days, having an ongoing to-do list. And like we mentioned at the beginning, pomodoros have been like a really standard part of our workflow, is putting 25 minutes on the clock and just saying, we're just going to work on this one thing for this set of minutes. Go. Yeah. Any other good tactics that we've been using over the years? Yeah. I mean, I think that we both found, and this applies to the way that we've worked for years and still applies now, is that we're we're both pretty susceptible to and bullied by like changes to a routine. Yeah. So staying pretty regimented in our work days has been really good and continues to be good, even though some of what that looks like is changing right now. So we start work at 830. Often that will start with like a breakfast. Uh And a to-do list review. We have this ongoing to-do list now that breaks things down by categories like Questlandia work, general tasks, financial business tasks. And we'll kind of review it from day to day and then bold or highlight things that are priority or have to get done that day. And those tasks, like, they haven't gotten away now that we're working on a major project, just like they never went away when we were focused on, you know, making Questlandia second edition. It's just that we're finding that the work now of, you know, sitting down and working on chapter one of the book has just not been super friendly to Pomodoros. Um, But we love our Pomodoros, using that to-do list, and then just like knowing what to expect from the day and having our normal working hours. 
which has been really important. And it's been important to like taking our work seriously all of these years. It's been important to setting boundaries with friends and family. Right. Um, And then setting boundaries with ourselves for not working at certain hours. Yes, which, which was, used to be a big problem. And right. I think I think was still a problem in the early days of Design Doc. It's it's really weird because I think about some of our older games like Damn the Man, Save the Music, and everything that came before. And I'm like, when did the work shut off? And I think it just didn't. It didn't. Yeah. There were no weekends. Yeah. There were no evenings. <laughs> it was just <laughs> One long work day. Do you think that this is a this is a morally neutral statement? Like, I, or I'm I'm not saying whether this is good or bad. Well, it would be bad. Well, let me just ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that our productivity has changed for the worse with having a more regimented schedule that defines boundaries around the workday? I would say yes. Yeah. In a very strict narrow view of productivity. Yeah, that's what I think too. Uh, But, you know, the point of productivity is to... No, that's too broad a statement. I I feel like, you know, quality of life matters in these conversations. (laughs) You can only bowl with so many balls before you throw your back out. Yeah. Type of deal. We were doing ourselves some real damage with that kind of working. And even though we could argue we were very productive with that nonstop effort, I don't necessarily think we were making better things. Having a balanced life and rest and boundaries, I think, does serve some purpose in making what we make (laughs) a calmer, more thought out, more finished kind of work. So we started the work on the book with an outline. That outline was still working just fine with Pomodoros. It's just like we were saying in the beginning, it was like very easy to break down the structure of the book into tiny little bite-sized pieces that then we just write a little outline for. Things changed when we started actually writing prose. Yeah. And you had called it. I think you had said early on, like, we should see what it's like to write for 90 minutes. Yeah. And I was like, that will physically kill me. (laughs) (laughs) You called it too. (laughs) That's true. You're right. We were both 100% right about the need and the outcome. (laughs) It's like, I will die. (laughs) Um, We both found that Getting into a good writing flow took a build-up, a ramp-up of focus and like getting in the headspace that I'd say is like around a half hour. like Of just sort of ramping up, like the Pomodoro itself and maybe a little longer is what's needed to even kind of start the work and get into the flow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and this is after, you know, setting up the space discussing the day, taking care of everything else, muting phones, like even after doing everything that's externally needed to clear the space for writing, and you're just sitting in front of the computer ready to write. For me, it takes, it was, it just 
takes a solid chunk of time to get in the headspace of the work. The first 30 minutes are spent awkwardly sort of with difficulty pushing it through. was a dark, stormy night. And like, who's talking and <laughs> yeah. why and how much detail do I need to write? And And eventually it starts to, that effort eases up and it starts flowing again. And there's some momentum that just carries it. But if by the time you get to that point, an alarm buzzes and says your Pomodoro's up, it starts all over. So over the past month or two, I think, we've been trying to grapple with how to restructure our focus and work days to accommodate these long stretches. Yeah. Because even if the flow of the writing comes easier past the 30-minute point, uh, new difficulties arise <laughs> as well. Yeah. So one strategy that we've used, and I know this strategy isn't just for my sake, but the reasons feel a little bit embarrassing or the way it helps me feels a little embarrassing is just changing environment, which on its own is like a very reasonable thing to do. Like uh -huh. Change environment. Uh, we have this nice dedicated office space in my house that we use, but we've been going to our local library and for me, like, I think some of it is about the change of environment. But for me, also, I have found that the work is so difficult on my focus. And when I have trouble focusing, I start to get down on myself. And when I start to get down on myself, I get mad. When I get mad at myself, I get mad at you. And then I say <laughs> that the project's going to be a failure. And then I pick on like one little aspect of maybe an idea for the book that you came up with that I didn't gel with. And I say that it's terrible. And <laughs> if we go to the library, like socially, it's just inappropriate for me to have a meltdown <laughs> as a person in my 30s. <laughs> and like it feels embarrassing to say out loud, but it's really effective. I just shut the fuck up. <laughs> no talking allowed. <laughs> shut the F up. I think that was the first curse of the episode. Shut the bleep up. Boop. Now we have to mark it as explicit. <laughs> R-rated episode about focus. What do you have to say about that technique? I'll say that like when you come, uh, it's very effective. Maybe you know on some level how effective it is <laughs> to talk about some aspect of the story that I came up with and say it's not working for you and we need to fix it. Because I'm very quick to be like, you're right. That's my fault. Let's workshop this. <laughs> Everything can be put on hold. Well, now that sounds so sad. Uh and just jump right into the conversation. And and sometimes those are legitimately good conversations is the thing. Even if it's an exaggerated, focus <laughs> aggravated uh, start, it's often that there is an actual issue and talking it over is good. But there's lots of good reasons that come up for breaking focus when you're in it. Lots of good excuses. You know, something I encounter when I try to relax and let go of the like day-to-day -day internal distractions to get ready to do some work is that 
more and more appealing and important seeming thoughts start popping into my head where I'm like, oh, wait, I said I was going to do the dishes and I forgot to this morning. Like, oh, I got to do that. And it's like, okay, okay, but I don't need to think about dishes right now. And then it's like, I received such a nice letter from a relative and I still haven't responded. I really need to set aside some time for that. It's like, oh, that's a good thought, good memory. But I got to let that go. Like, that's not important right now. Yeah. But then there's the, I mean, and maybe this is what you were getting to, but there's this like really sneaky level at which, and usually I'm the culprit here where, you know, we're starting to write. We say we're going to write for 90 minutes or 45 minutes, longer than a Pomodoro. And I turn around 15 minutes into it and I'm like, Evan, we have to talk about the ethics of AI when she gets on the captain's ship. I don't understand how it works in this world. I don't feel like, and it, it can be a, it's a trick because like, it's possible that there's a, that I can see my way through that on my own, or that there's some way that I can sort of hand wave it right now to still get the draft of the chapter done. Like I'm, I'm throwing my own focus uh, with the excuse that it's like a valid right. conversation. Yeah. Does that? Yeah, I don't same. Know. I, that- get, I get completely charmed by it where I'm just like, wait, oh, it's such a good idea to make sure that this part is historically accurate. I should definitely open the web browser <laughs> and research that real quick. Yeah. Uh, because also it's going to impact the writing that comes next and it's going to make everything flow better. And it's going to be a lot of work later if I just hand wave it. Right. And like suddenly I've been on Wikipedia for half an hour learning about like some very specific drama that happened in the year Reeboks were invented. (laughs) And I'm like, why was I looking up when Reeboks came out? I mean, even when it doesn't get me that bad and I do just look something up, get the answer and pop back in, I'm out of the flow. It knocks me out. Like it's hard to recover the kind of the mood and energy of what I was writing before. So it's like no lie was told. Like every justification I had was real. I'm going to reference an Avatar The Last Airbender episode. It'll be brief. (laughs) In this episode, the hero, Aang, goes into the spirit world and meets an ancient spirit named Ko, the face stealer. And Ko's deal is that he likes to collect faces The only way he won't take your face is if your face is in a completely neutral state. And so over the course of this conversation, Ko attempts to upset, surprise, anger, uh, anger, ang, to get any kind of rise out of him. And the challenge is to just let every one of those feelings just pass by, let it go, and stay steadfast. And that's kind of what it feels like to be going through the distractions that come up over the course of writing. I'll have all these thoughts that are absolutely true, and they're right, and they have good reasoning, and they make sense, and nonetheless, just got to let them pass. Feel it, feel the urge, and then, then just move past it on principle. Because I'm just going to move past everything right now because it's about writing. Yeah. And every single thing 
it's always going to be an okay answer to say, I'll do that after this session is done. That's always okay. I mean, if the house is on fire, then, <laughs> uh, like, that's really not the kind of distractions we're dealing with. I think that's a great analogy. Thanks. We're, we're both nailing it with the analogies, yeah, huh? No, I think, I think that's a great analogy. I really like it. I want to say another thing about this difference between external and like internal distractions. Yeah. Because back when we had first started planning this episode, uh, which was months and months ago, it had first been an episode about social media planned around the time when Elon Musk took over Twitter. (laughs) And, uh, And I found that, you know, I had already kind of been looking for a reason to reduce my time on Twitter. Like I was finding that the things that I had to say, I felt like I had less to say. Right. Is this garbage truck lost? (laughs) The fifth time this hour that it's driven by and screeched around the corner. (laughs) Okay. Um, It's good background for an episode on focus. (laughs) I was just finding that I had less to say and less that I wanted to say. Um, I was finding that in conversations even that felt like they tapped into what Twitter is best for, like kind of really like like witty contemporary hot takes about a game or about a movie. Like I was, mm-hmm. you know, watching popular media and whatever thought that I had, I just felt like kind of precious and private about. Like I was like, I didn't like that show or I had this funny experience with this movie and I want to not share that with Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it had felt like the dynamic had already kind of started to change a little bit. And then, you know, after the Elon Musk takeover and there was an exodus and it, it really started to change and feel like a little bit of a sad ghost town. And I was finding myself weighing, like, if I do stay in this space because it's where most of our sales come from. And still, you know, when we launch a Kickstarter, most people come from Twitter. But I'm finding that when I do have something to say, it gets less traction. And that makes me feel like awful. Like I I just feel like it is some like statement about myself and my value and my ability to be like funny or have a meaningful contribution or like tap into the zeitgeist of the way people speak. And if it's off and it doesn't, and it doesn't hit, that means that I'm off and I'm like so cringe. And I was just feeling bad. So we were going to, we were going to talk about social media. um, And then this Elon Musk takeover happened and I just kind of stopped using Twitter for the most part. And With that, it became an episode about focus because then I was like, I'm not on Twitter. Like, this novel is going to get done. (laughs) I have so much time. Like, my focus isn't distracted by my phone. And that didn't happen. Like, it didn't get easier. It was one less external distraction, but it hasn't solved the internal part. And I think that was actually, like, legitimately surprising to me. Right. Uh, I think that I had thought that something about Twitter was breaking my brain so much that removing that as an element of my life, like suddenly I would tap into this like creative uh, flow state, this like creative impish flow state that I'd had as a child. 
<laughs> and it didn't come back. It's my experience too. Cutting out external stuff, it just it just feels like a a infinite onion of distraction. Just layers and layers of distracting myself from distractions that distract me from distractions. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, this gets to like a a sort of point of tension that I think is just always going to be a dynamic tension to focusing, which is balancing the need to eliminate distractions with the resolve to ignore and power through distraction. Yeah. Because they're both right and, and neither one of them is adequate. Like, I do silence my phone. I think that's the right thing to do. But you know, as I was saying before, it's like when I silence my phone, when I stop scrolling Twitter, it just leads to another level of more subtle and in some ways even more hooking distractions. Where I'm like, oh, I'm not thinking about Twitter. And so I'm starting to remember really important things about <laughs> my life and myself. And, yeah. And also it's it's not just like to-do list items. It can be things like I'm not being creative enough in this writing. It can be like the self-editing part where I can just be like, oh, I just don't know how to write, period. I mean, it can be an imposter feeling. It can be a blocked, mopey feeling. And those can be really, really difficult to let go uh, because it's like, wait a second. No, no, no. Like if I'm a terrible writer, I should fix that before I should go on. Like if I'm writing a joke that isn't funny, I shouldn't just ignore that. I should get, I should work on myself. Get funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I should get funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I deleted Twitter from my phone and now it's time to get funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny because it's like the kind of straining to do almost anything ends up being, ends up backfiring because suddenly you just get absorbed in this strain and this battle and this struggle when for me, it just seems like most of the time the right answer is to just let myself be what I am. Like I'm at where I'm at. If it's going to be a bad joke, that's just what's written there. There'll be a whole separate process for cringing and removing what I've written. <laughs> it even has the a name. It's called the second draft. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, like let the process of improvement happen as its own thing. But it's hard because it's hard to write something that I'm not proud of and then just jet past it. Yeah. As part of our daily work, we are still working on games. We still, I mean, we still have like the Questlandia SRD to make. We have hacks we want to make. Mm -hmm. There's little games on the scope of like our poster size games that that we want to keep making for Patreon and and just because we still like making games and care about it and are invested in this work that we've been doing for a lot of years. And mm -hmm. one thing that I've found is this of a philosophical shift that we've taken a little bit in approaching our own focus to like 
What does it look like to put 90 minutes on the clock for writing has already kind of made its way into some of our conversations about games, too. I mean, the other day we were talking about um, some ideas for games about androids, Uh robots, not like Android phone games. Um, (laughs) Because I had had, you know, one of the like a mini existential crisis. And I was like, Evan, we still have to make games. We can't leave games. We have to make a game now. We have to make a game today. (laughs) As I throw multiple bowling balls down multiple lanes at once. And we started to talk about it. And you, because you're a smart, patient, kind person, were we're kind of encouraging like a longer, like staying with the conversation for longer. Yeah. Uh, and I felt like that was kind of a result of this new type of work that we're doing, where sometimes we're like, let's talk about it for a Pomodoro. And before we get frustrated or crash into bad ideas, we'll put it away for the day. And I feel like we talked about it for a few hours and right. went through phases and good ideas and bad ideas. And sometimes it was frustrating. But I I felt like I was already kind of seeing the benefit and the change. And that was nice. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So it's it doesn't feel like this like broader type of work with a slower ramp up that can feel kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. Uh, It it feels like it can apply to our game work, too. And to anybody's game work. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because I feel like we're still, uh, you know, engaged in that podcast, and I don't want people just stop listening and jump ship just because we say we're writing a novel. So that's my worry, and that's why I'm saying this disclaimer. Please don't leave that. (laughs) Please don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you think? What are your closing thoughts? Uh... One thought is that I had an idea of people who get things done as having solved the issue of focus. They've got their routine. They just sit down and do it. It works for them. And I need to become like one of those people to get anything done. And since I continually found myself not being that sort of person, I expected less and less of myself. But This strategy of always struggling with it (laughs) forever uh, also seems to be functional in its own way. And so take heart. (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. That's the way to say it. You know, I, I think that having read Having read a lot of books on focus, because this is clearly something that I've struggled with for a long time, and having uh, hated the philosophy of some of them, Mm -hmm. like deep work, uh, which seems to be like, there's two types of people in the world, the Bill Gateses and you. (laughs) So you better focus so you can be like a really rich guy instead of you. Um. And then a book like Stolen Focus, which you had recommended and we both read recently, which, oh God, I wish I remembered what I was saying at the beginning of this paragraph. I remember a book like Stolen Focus, which really takes a much more compassionate look at focus. Yeah, it talks about sort of a global environment of structural unfocusing 
technologies and societal structure. Yeah, and and take some of the pressure and responsibility off of the individual to say like this is a this is a crisis of focus that we're having right now and there's little things that we're all going to have to do because we are fighting a battle that's like bigger than any of us. Right. Um and I'm going to find my way back to my point again. And normally, yeah, normally I would edit all of this out. But I feel like as long as it's not too painful to listen to, I'm going to try to not edit it out because this is my process. Yeah. Um, uh, yes, I remembered again. And those books have shown me at least that um, the focus is a little bit of a muscle and that like the struggle – the struggle is real. The struggle seems to be never ending. But when we've sat down every day and we like start that 90 minute timer, on some level, it has gotten easier. I, oh, yeah. Or at least it's like it's like forming a habit. I mean, I used to not make my bed every morning. And for years, I've made my bed every morning because at some point I made it a habit. And now I don't even think about it. And I, I don't think the same can be said for writing a novel. Like it's like a different brain state than making my bed. But the the habit part of like sitting down, opening my computer, opening up Scrivener and being like, this is just what we do. Like this is what we do every day. So we sit down and we stare at a screen and eventually the words come out. Like yeah. that part's getting easier. Yeah, I agree. I think the it's like the distracting thoughts and environment uh, is having to get sneakier and sneakier to derail us. Yeah. We're we're acquiring a new level of enemy. Yeah, I know. It's going to have to be an actual fire. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Oh, sorry if that part of me finding my point was too was physically painful to listen to. That's how it feels being in my head every day. Get there eventually, but it's a circuitous route to the point. It was great. It was scenic. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we've got for today. And if we still have your attention, (laughs) let us direct it to our our Patreon. (laughs) It's as simple as www.patreon.com slash turtlebun. Yeah, and if you wanted to listen to our thoughts about those robot games, the Android games that we mentioned in the episode, we have a bonus content episode up about them for pa- for patrons. Patreon support is a very special kind of support. It's so good. And we just want to say thank you so much to all of the current patrons of ours. You know, our work has taken different forms over the years and sometimes we like make something a little bit weird we're like here's a one minute animation demo that we're never gonna finish (laughs) and uh some people are just really steadfastly there for us and supporting what we do so thank you it it really means a lot it supports this podcast and just supports our creative work in general and uh whatever form that ends up taking i think it's had a real impact on our ability to go with whatever idea and creative inspiration we have to have a kind of support that's not tied to a you know an exact product yeah it it really means a lot yeah thanks everybody 
The Design Doc intro-outro theme was written by our friend, Pat King. Thanks, Pat. Design Doc is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. One Shot? Oh my god, I did that I did that last time, and I did it this time. It's always like a hustes. Hughes. I think it was literally in the last episode. Hughes. All right. <laughs> One Shot hosts other great shows like All My Fantasy Children. Each week, Aaron and Jeff take a listener-submitted prompt and, using some of their favorite tabletop RPGs, create an original fantasy character. Along the way, they share laughs, stories, verbal hugs, and populate a shared universe one story at a time. Sounds nice. Yeah. We'll see you in a few weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks, heroes. Thanks, heroes.